Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Achtung Millwall supports the Lions Food Hub and all of our advertising revenues will be donated to support this fantastic initiative. It's now based at the Lions Centre on Bolina Road and it's run by our own Kelly Webster. This is a friendly food bank supporting families in the Bermondsey and SE16 area. If you can help support Lions Food Hub in any way, please visit at Lions Food Hub on Twitter or get in touch with us at Achtung Millwall. The Lions Food Hub. Come on, you lions. You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South Bermondsey. Except no sandwich. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the second of our Neil and Nick's Millwall History Hour shows. Welcome to the show, my compadre, my 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 uh, my, my story and co-pilot, Mr. Neil Fisler. Welcome to the show, Neil. Oh, Nick, how you going, mate? But it's actually our third one. I suppose it is. Yeah, I, I, I kept referring in the previous show I did the other day to Mill's third three league game, and it's four. So maybe I've got a, a hang up on the numbers three and four, mate. But yeah, yeah you've got a fixation. Yeah, no. Well, we did do that very quick one with JC Green, didn't we? The couple we of weeks ago, which I'd recommend anybody to listen to. I really enjoyed that show. Um, she's she's a character. And, she's great, uh, wasn't she? Yeah, and, great. And her dad sounded like a character. Do check that one out, listeners. And also, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm discounting the uh, the summertime shows that we did last last season with the uh, the historic figures from the club. So anyway, let's not get hung up on those kinds of issues. Welcome to the show, listeners. This is a um, well, it's going to be doing it regularly through the season. We're looking at the forthcoming fixtures for September in this case, which is West Bromwich Albion away, Swansea City away, Coventry City at home, Leicester City now Neil, in the in the League Cup at home. Um, yeah, that was a curveball, wasn't it? Curveball. I mean, everyone prays for West Ham. I, I think you should be careful what you wish for, listeners, in this life. But uh, then at the end of the month, we've got Nottingham Forest away and Bristol City at home to conclude September. So um, I'm not following any strict pattern on this one, Neil, are we? You've, you've picked out some, some fixtures. I've picked a couple out and I've tried to dig out one or two newspaper articles to go with some of the fixtures that you've chosen too. So hopefully we'll, we'll bob along, um, as they say at Charlton. Yeah, and I've also picked out some clip-ins as well, so we'll see where we go with it. Well, well, it may be a long one. This that's good. Listeners, I mean, do tell us if you like this. I've had some quite nice messages, Neil, from listeners about our previous shows. So I, I believe that's you know these are popular, and I hope they are. Um, so anyway, let's let's get into the first of September's fixtures, which will be West Bromwich Albion away, which I think 
um, is in, on September the 11th, but you've gone for one from Christmas Day, Neil. Christmas Day fixture, 1929. Yeah, and I'm also actually going to talk about the Boxing Day game, which was the <laughs> which was actually the return game, because actually in those <laughs> days you played on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, but you played the same opposition. So invariably you would travel back with <laughs> the team that you just played against and that you were going to play the following day. That's quite um, incredible. I mean, you know, I know there's this modern, modern thing that the football authorities don't care about the fans, but I'm not sure they cared an awful lot about them in the past. They, you know, when you, I mean, Christmas Day was not an unusual day to have fixtures, was it? Traditionally, it's, it, was, it was a big um, holiday fixture day. Even though it was, and Christmas wasn't, there wasn't the entertainment that we've got now with no. television and no, no. Sky streaming, and the internet yeah, and streaming and things like that. So I don't think Christmas was, it was a religious time, but it wasn't the religious time because the religious time was Easter, wasn't Easter. it? Easter Sunday. Yeah. I think it was just seen as a holiday day. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. And they yeah. needed something to do. And the trains ran. Well, it's it was true. only when the trains stopped running in the 1960s that they actually stopped playing games on Christmas Day. I, 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 I wrote the story when I was on the Sunday Express a couple of years ago with a guy who played on the last ever Christmas Day game. And that was in about 1962, 1963. So yeah. they were very popular, popular fixtures. I mean, just as a total aside, I do believe, and correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong, that the, in America, the NFL plays on Christmas Day. So it's they just, do a, indeed. just yeah, an they interesting do indeed. Um, take on what Christmas Day is. And uh, we could go off a million tangents on this, Neil, so probably best to move along. But it was it was a win on Christmas Day for Millwall, Millwall 2, West Brom 1, and then the return fixture the next day at the Hawthorns, where we, we got a thumping, 6-1 uh, to West Brom. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, funnily enough, I was just doing a little bit of research and uh, and the match report says uh, West Bromwich Albion beaten 2-1 at Millwall on Christmas Day, won the return match by six goals to one at the Hawthorns yesterday. And it, and it goes on about the weather. West Brom had Corbett Evans, WG Richardson in for Finch, Darnell and Cookson. Injured the previous day. Millwall yes, had one change, and that was actually uh, Pipe, the left-back. Uh, Jimmy Pipe came out. Man who was later to build his own house, interestingly, as a hobby. Yes, and, you uh, do. Jack- <laughs> yeah, but just as you do. Uh, and Jackie Moran came in, so that was our only change, Jackie John Moran. This is my um, hobby, listeners. I don't, I've never, you wouldn't want me building your house, Neil. Let me put it... I'll, I'll, be, I'll be realistic, listeners. Don't hire me for building construction work. Um, well done to finding a match report. I, I couldn't find... I haven't done a huge amount of research. I couldn't find a match report. But I did find um, some detail from the, the Portsmouth Evening News. This is dated the 27th of December, Neil, 1929. And it has a column, The World of Sport, and, and the headline is several, several Holiday Football Mishaps, which is one way to put it, because it refers <laughs> to Donnell, um, the West Bromwich Albion halfback, who was carried off the field unconscious late in the game <laughs> at Millwall. Um, and it was taken to the Miller Hospital at Greenwich, 
and is making good progress. The extent of his injury will not be known until an X-ray has been made today. This will be the 27th. I did read he had his jaw fractured. What the circumstances were, I don't know. But he took a knock. Yeah, no, well, in that game, I think Len Graham and George Chant scored for us. Mm. Joe Carter for West Bromwich Albion. And then in true Millwall fashion, and I know we say not the Millwall what I know, <laughs> but but the following day, Albion opened strongly. That could be said. Carter scored after five minutes. Yeah. Millwall were overplayed. And after 24 minutes, Gildon scored again. And Richardson added a third a minute later. So it was already going tits up by midway through the first half. <laughs> they would have been knackered. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They've had Christmas in there as well. I mean, I don't know what kind of Christmas the team would have had after the... the Funny enough, as you say that, Bryant, that's Bill Bryant, who was yeah. an England amateur international... We've spoken about him, yeah. yeah. Yep, who went off in the first half, sorry, who was injured in the first half, went off at the interval. But then amazingly, we pulled a goal back <laughs> through full scythe. But then Carter and Wood scored again and Gildan added a sixth near the end. It was a thumping. It was it was it was a shellacking. My, my latest <laughs> phrase that I picked up. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by this this column, and, and as you're describing the game, I'm my eyes wandering over other other games. I mean, Charlton Athletic played with a man short for 40 minutes in their game this day at Wolverhampton. So they're away at Wolves. They won by four clear goals despite being down to 10 men. Um, five minutes after the interval, so about 50, 50th minute, Pritchard, the Charlton captain and a former Wolverhampton Wanderers player, broke his leg. And then they go on to refer to Darnell, who's, who's carried from the field unconscious at Millwall. I mean, it was a man's game back then, Mill, wasn't it? You know, physical injury was just part and parcel of what you had to put up with. Yeah, and funnily enough, Pritchard, he played for Thames Athletic. OK. And, and yeah. later became a teammate of one of the Millwall players from the West Brom game, Will yeah. Phillips. 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 And this is a total aside. I'm really going off a tangent here. I don't think Neil Mind's getting dragged off on the tangents, but there's a report underneath this Neil um, West Brom paragraph. Scaffolding collapses. 15 spectators, including two women, were injured when scaffolding erected around a church collapsed yesterday whilst people were watching the football match between Brighton and Brentford. People fell 40 feet in order to see the match um the, the scaffolding collapsed the police um police uh, risked their lives it says here in hurrying to the help of the, of the injured with much difficulty bodies were extracted extricated from the planks and carried into the street where the, an ambulance was waiting we need more than one ambulance um just before the accident nil um the football crowd had broken down part of the fence and forced the gate in order to get into the football ground there, there's nothing new in this life is there when you read these old Old reports. You imagine if that was us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the favourite saying on the half, isn't it? Can you imagine if this was us? If this was us, yeah. Well, I mean, be, yeah. Well, I've always said that going to church is unsafe, and that proves it. Really, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm sure sorry there's a joke. Any Christians well, listening to us? Got a joke about Jesus saves coming. I probably shouldn't go any further on that because I will offend someone. Um, so there we are, the, the West Brom away and home game, successive days at Christmas. I was just thinking, I've, I've never known successive days other than um, I remember in the 75-76 season, we played Peter on Good Friday and I think we beat Brighton at home on, on, on the Easter Saturday. So that was 
but that was both at home. There was no travel involved in that. So um, that, was... that was the traditional thing around yeah. that time, wasn't it? You did play Good Friday, Easter Saturday and Easter Monday. So, so we got three games in four <laughs> days. I know that then teams cottoned on a little bit when floodlights came in and they'd inch the Monday game to a Tuesday night or something like that. But and you get Jurgen Klopp on TV. Was gonna, he was the very man. When, when you'd finished, I was going to mention Jurgen Klopp or Arsene Wenger, I suppose, back in the day. But going Jurgen on about... Klopp would have a stroke, quick stroke. Three Jurgen's whining, isn't he? Yeah. Minute oh, silence for the death of football. <laughs> there we are. So that's 1929. I, I've chosen, um, this is a much more recent fiction, one that will probably be in the memory of most listeners to this show, I think, li- looking at our audience breakdown numbers, Neil. It's mostly blokes over the age of 40 that listen to you and me. Um, we, we've got to tap into the kids' market somehow. But... Yeah, no, well, we're boomers, according to my son. <laughs> boomers, boomers. It's a boomer. <laughs> Yeah, you actually told me last night that we repair of boomers and that people like listening to us. <laughs> it's the Boomer podcast. So anyway, I move along. I'm, I've gone for the West Bromwich Albion nil, Millwall two famous fixture. This was in the 2001-2002 season, of course, which will be under Mark McGee. Um, it was the night of the Richard Sadlier um, goals in the 19th and then 27th minute for Richard. In one of the more classic sides, really, Neil, when I looked at this Mill lineup, Warner, Sean Dyche, Stuart Nevercott, Darren Ward, Mark Bircham, Stephen Reed, Ronnie Bull, David Livermore, Tim Cahill, and up front, Steve Claridge and Richard Sadlier. Sometimes when you do these shows, Neil, and I know we touched on this with um, in, in previous shows, but you just forget how much talent we've had at our club over the years. And that's a, that's a hell of a lineup there, isn't it? Am I right in thinking that was a on that ill-fated ITV sports show? Yes, channel? yeah, that's right. It many, many clubs. It was televised live, wasn't it? And it was on ITV. They called it ITV Digital or something like yeah, that. It was, yeah, ITV Digital. That's it. And it crashed and burned, <laughs> didn't it? We're leaving clubs overstretched, and you know the the, the decline of um, kind of second tier football set in from there in many respects because it was yeah but I don't think football's actually ever recovered in a no. low level from that because there were teams that were promises great riches absolutely yeah thankfully we had Theo in charge at the time <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not many will thank you for saying it but I do agree I do agree I think he was um he, he was a good chairman when you think where we were when Theo came to us Neil and then you know the fact that we survived this uh, financial storm in the sea, uh, many, many were, were, you know, many clubs um, were put into very deep difficulties as a consequence. And, and you didn't uh, get carried away at this time. No, I uh, didn't. No, no, you did. We, no. If you're 100% right, this team for me is, or that era is right up there with some of the best players this club's had. Probably should have done better. Many. I mean, I think we should have got promoted that season and... You know, all, all seasons have their, their their spurts of good form and bad form, and, and you, know, you know, dry spells. And we probably had a bit of a um, a late season flop, but we recovered to get into the playoff. And then there was obviously the um, famous or infamous night against Birmingham that um, didn't work out for us. But it, that was a team. That was a team and a half. When you think of those names, there: Dyche, 
Nevercott, Reed, Cahill, Savlioni's Pomp. Um, yeah, um, great, great side. My the my eye fell upon as I listeners know, Neil, and, and you do too. I always like to go for the quirk, and I always see, you know, if we can find an angle, we will do. But my eye fell upon Scott Doby playing as a forward, as a sole forward for West Bromwich Albion um, on this uh, win for the Lions. Scott Doby playing for West Brom would become um, one of our higher ever signings. It, the fee apparently was up to £750,000 when he signed for the Lions. And <laughs> we never had a glittering record in the transfer market at this level, did we? No, he was a he was a Scottish international. I think we paid an initial five hundred thousand pounds for him from West Brom. It was a huge it was a huge profit for them because they'd signed him from Carlisle or somewhere Carlisle. for about one hundred and twenty and quite a well travelled uh, player as well. Yeah, Carlisle, Clyde Bank, West Brom, and he'd actually won promotion twice to the Premier League. I think with West Brom and. Uh, he, he, he was one of those players. He frustrated he, me. I mean, I, he, he never quite took off, and you never know, really knew why, because he had the pedigree, didn't he? He did. He was full of scoring goals, like three in 16 wasn't a great return. Scottish international. He was born in Workington, in, which is in Cumbria. It used to be a football league club there. Um, six foot one inch striker. Um, he, he had a good track record at, at, um, at many, many clubs, including obviously West Brom, where we, we signed him. Uh, 110 appearances, 22 goals from 110, which is not, not brilliant, but not bad. Um, but he did score goals wherever he went, um, finished his career at, at York City via various uh, St. Johnston, Bradford and, and Carlisle again late in his career. Scottish international, played six times for his country, scoring one goal. It's just one of the lesser-known names. I mean, if you said, like, big big Millwall signings over time, you probably wouldn't think of Scott Doby, would you? No, and you wouldn't actually believe what he does for a living now. Well, you don't have to tell me now. I, I, I didn't get that bit. What was that? It's a firearms police officer. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Is he really? Armed police? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. In in the West Midlands. So, so, if, so if you're listening, Mr Doby... You were one of our greatest ever players. <laughs> we loved you. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely adore you. I think footballers must be realists, Neil, when it comes to knowing whether you're loved and adored at a club or it never worked out. You must you, you must know quite quickly whether it's happening for you. So I'm sure we're not saying anything that Scott wouldn't be aware of, but please don't arrest us in that case. <laughs> you were even worse shooters with a bloody taser. Or a... Yeah, yeah, could do about that. Um, so there we are. That's the West Brom fixture. Um, now we're going to jog along, Neil, and we, next up is Swansea, Swansea City. Achtung, Milbay. And you've gone for um, same game as you, I believe. Well, I, I went for the same game as you because I thought this this actually is an in, it's an interesting fixture and some interesting names in in the manager of this one 0 win for the Lions. Listen, this was dated April the thirtieth, nineteen sixty six, just prior to the uh, the great win in the in the World Cup. Um, but this is a one 0 win for the Lions, um, a goal that would actually secure promotion to Division Two from Division Three for us now. And then Billy Gray, our manager, resigned. Upon winning promotion, which I fascinated me, that's the bit that I wanted to to look at. Yeah, he actually, yeah, well, he actually resigned immediately after the game. He did, but um, but I know from yeah, there's quite a lot to this story. So, 
There is. I mean, I'm, I'm looking. This is a Sunday um, People report dated May the first, '66. Um, they're up is the headline. Then get with Gray goes. This is by a, a journal called Pat Collins. Billy Gray became Mills' ex-manager just after 4:30 p.m. yesterday, when Ken Jones hit the goal that barred the decimal points, puts Mill in the second division. Um, he received a gift from the players with a gold table lighter. Um, and then he says to the to the journalist, I hope to be starting a new job next week, which is uh, odds on it speculates that will be at Brentford. Um, that, that, this 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 is a very Millwall story, isn't it? <laughs> In the moment of triumph, you resign, you know, and move to Brentford. Yeah, it's quite an unusual thing. I spoke to George Jacks right. like this last year when I was elsewhere uh, doing former player interviews yeah yeah. Uh, link is not in the description <laughs> uh, but I think everybody knows where they're good interviews do listen to them I, I recommend them they're, they're, they're well, well done interviews they are actually they are still up on that Millwall podcast as I actually yeah, yeah. listened yeah. last night to refresh myself okay uh, but according to George yeah Billy Gray was quite a private man and the players didn't really know him that well. Right. And there was no interaction. But he said that they were told at the start of April that he'd be leaving at the end of the season. And he sensed there was something that happened between him and Mickey Purser. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, and I found um, another Sunday people report. This is dated April the 3rd, so that would tie in with what George has said to you there, Neil. This is a uh, piece by Sam Bartram, once upon a time a great goalkeeper for Charlton, but uh, and also quite a well-respected journalist. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, well, actually played for Millwall in the... In the in, war, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. War Cup final. That's right. So anyway, the headline of this column by Sam Bartram, Billy Gray will quit Millwall. Um, I'll read it verbatim. Billy, Billy Gray, the manager who's driven Mill from the fourth division to the top of the third, will quit next month. He will break the news of his intended walkout to a board meeting this week. I remind you, this is dated the April the 3rd, listeners. Um, Mill's directors can hardly be surprised, says Sam Bartram. I know that some of them are aware that 38-year-old Gray, manager for two and a half years, is not happy about his relationship with the board. There was bald criticism about Billy Gray's loudspeaker appeal at QPR a week ago when Millwall fans invaded the pitch in an attempt to get the match abandoned because their side was losing. Um, there was more criticism of Gray's public assessment of Hull City as the likelier champions than Millwall. The result is that Gray has no, not on a contract, listeners, felt he could no longer continue in the present atmosphere of the den. Um, and it goes on, it just refers to, it must have been a fairly, um, what's the right word, sensitive character, Neil, because it, it speaks on previous splits and arguments. Um, they, were talk, they were talking about him going to Tommy Doherty at Chelsea at that point, um, talk of resignation. Um, and then the kiss of death is when Purser puts in the, uh, the Mill programme that Mr. Gray and I are in complete harmony. <laughs> this is always the kiss of death when the, 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 the chairman gives you a vote of confidence, as then as now. Um, you yeah, was anybody ever in harmony with Mickey Purser? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe his bank manager might have been. Um, it's, 
and I've, I've also found a paragraph in Lions of the South. I mean, it just reinforces that newspaper report there of um, trouble at QPR. Uh, this will be during March, I guess, 66. Um, and as James Murray's written here, it had a totally unexpected, unexpected effect. It led to the resignation of Billy Gray. Um, also, um, Gray wanted to sign players, including Rodney Marsh at this point, um, which Purser um, apparently wouldn't release the funds, which wouldn't come as any surprise. But there was exception taken by directors at this um, lack of loyalty as they perceived it to, to Millwall, which led to a parting of the ways. Um, interesting what George says there about him being a private man. It, you get a sense when you read about him, I've looked at his wiki, page two nearly you do get a sense of a man slightly removed from what should we call it the Millwall way he didn't he wasn't of Millwall so to speak but that's that's fair yeah and George actually was pretty scathing about Mickey Purser said you couldn't <laughs> really approach him so there was obviously something there but he, yeah but but he did say that you could speak to Bill Nealon who was a director okay. Okay. but but apparently Purcell would turn up for training and mm. put his two penneth in and whatever else and then go back to his car showroom and replace the windows <laughs> that had been put. He was, he was famously a, a car dealer, VW, I think, with Purcells on the old Kent Road and many were the occasions where his car showroom would suffer if Mill would play particularly badly <laughs> or if players were not, not signed or released or whatever, you know. Um, I'm just looking at some notes from Lions of the South. Um, Billy Gray had written in the programme after these incidents at QPR. Um, in the latter stages of the game, I made a broadcast appeal to try and preserve the good name of Mill FC. Certain unruly elements of our supporters had encroached on the ground after a warning had been given that the referee would stop the game if this continued. Um, although some people may not agree, and I think that's directed to the, the director's box, I think I did right, because if games are going to be abandoned due to the behaviour of supporters, then we may as well pack up now, said Gray. Um, I think the um, interesting point was that it was actually QPR that started the pitch invasions. Right, OK. Then we cottoned on to what was going on yeah. and the score... <laughs> So we kind of returned fire, hoping to get this game abandoned. Which they used to do um, yeah. until they perceived that people would deliberately go on the pitch to, to get the game abandoned if it, the result wasn't <laughs> suiting. Um, these were far off times, listeners, and you got to um, you got to remember that the, it was the infancy of what was came to be called hooliganism in the modern sense, um, and oh, who knows? I mean, the rights and wrongs of that are a bit far off now, but. It's interesting that it led to the departure of um, however difficult a man he may have been, Neil, one of our more talented managers, uh, most successful ones in some ways. Yeah, no, definitely. He was a guy who'd led us out of the fourth division. I think we were probably going nowhere at the time, weren't we? I think he, I think we were relegated with him just very soon after he joined. But then, as you say rightly, fourth division promotion, third division promotion, and then he walked. Um, and that was that. <laughs> Certainly all the former players I've spoken to thought he was a tremendous manager. He, was, he played in some of the games. I think, they, 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 I think he started off as a player manager, didn't he? Yeah. Um, there we are. Um, but every, every cloud has its silver lining, listeners, and it led to the arrival of Benny Fenton, who would build one of the great Millwall sides, only, probably only eclipsed in some ways by 1988. 
in the in the early 1970s. So um, you know, as as Billy Gray left, Betty Fenton would arrive, and the rest would go on to be to be his, Mill history anyway. But there we are. That's that's Swansea Mill one Swansea nil from 1966. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Achtung. Mehlball. So we move along, Neil. We, 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 we don't stop on this show, mate. And we're going to move along now to, we're actually going to rewind the, the clock still further back to 1948, post-war, austerity Britain, 24th of April. And we have a thumping of Coventry City, 6, Mill 6, Coventry City 2, um, played on the 24th of April at Cold Blow Lane. Yeah, uh, interesting game, because we'd actually been relegated. <laughs> So we were we were we were gone. We were we were out of the and we were bottom of the table. We're going nowhere. Obviously, uh, yeah, apart from to to the third division south. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, we pull out this spectacular performance. Partly helped. I, I read in the Coventry Evening Telegraph. This would be a Saturday night paper, which is another thing lost to the game. Now, younger listeners won't realise that Saturday night papers were often the only way you'd find out your football results for the day. But anyway, the Coventry Evening Telegraph describe a mauling at the den. Um, apparently, they were tinkering with their sides. You know, the, the, the team experiment against lowly Millwall, relegated Millwall, as, as we've just heard, it's proved it's, disastrous. And so it did. 6-2 something. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I took a cutting from the same paper on the Monday. Did you? Okay. Millwall t- took advantage of poor defence. Millwall's farewell... To the second division, uh, to second division football for their supporters on Saturday was a six-two victory over Coventry. Belated, if merry jest, at the expense of a side that has been one of the most difficult to beat this season. Yeah. Uh, but there was nothing freakish about it otherwise, and he goes on to explain uh, the goals and the game. Goals for the Lions. Well, actually, they they took the lead. Just looking at the minute count on on the um, uh, notes that Neil sent over to me. So Coventry's Ted Roberts put City in front on four minutes. 
equalizer from Billy Anderson. Some of these names aren't, again, I like to think I've done a little bit of research into the past, but some of these names are new ones on me in Millwall. Scotsman. Billy Anderson, um, goal on seven minutes. Um, Johnny Johnson, Johnny Johnson on 14, so we made it 2 1. Um, 3 1 again for another goal for, for, for uh, Johnson and on 34 0. Then second half goals, France, France Reeves, that France is. No, Frank Reed, that was actually a, a, a Yevla typo by me. Frank Reeves on 50. Taffy Evans, that's a great name. I do, some of these names are fantastic. I'm going to come back to the subject of great names on my fixture I've chosen. Taffy Evans, that's like something from an, a war film or something, isn't it? Um, 52 minutes. And then um, a consolation one for Norman Lockhart for City. And then a final one for Billy Anderson on 86. I finished six goals to two for Millwall. Um, Funnily enough, Taffy Evans called Taffy Evans because he was Welsh, believe it or not. But he actually died not long after this game. He died in 1956 when he was was at Leighton Orient uh, or or just after he'd left Leighton Orient. He he retired through illness. Right, and passed uh, away. And unfortunately, he... Yeah, but it was actually throat cancer. Right, right. And he died aged just 33. Sturdy, the sturdy John, as I've called him in a book that I've written. Taffy Evans. Uh, I didn't know that story. Um, there we are. Uh, tough, tough times, tough times. I'm, one of the reasons I'm fascinated by old newspapers, listen, I'm just looking at my Saturday evening copy of the Coventry Evening Telegraph and there's other reports on there. There's a fight for the Ashes, the Anglo-Australian Test Match Tour of 1948. But underneath that, there's a sport I've never really picked up on. Pony racing boom is booming in the country. Um, And good money is changing hands, Neil, for ponies in order to engage in this boom sport, which couldn't have boomed for long. I mean, it's not really something I'm, I'm aware of, but pony racing was booming in 1948. Yeah, we're judging by that season. We had one or two ponies playing for us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, in the post-war era, I mean, I think the crowds boomed in the in the after the um, obviously the finish of hostilities. So any sport, I think that you know this was the era that my old dad used to tell me about kids riding cycle speedway and people watching it. I think people would turn out for anything, pretty much. Yeah, that's right. And this was actually quite a good Millwall team. <laughs> uh, we have Malcolm Finley, son in goal. Yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taffy Evans, George Fisher. One yeah, of, another who, name from the past there. Yeah. Bob Kelly, who uh, 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 died in Bedford or somewhere like that. Uh, Walter McMillan, Tommy Brown, another famous name from that era. Johnny Johnson, Frank Reeves, Bill Anderson, Chris Simmons, yeah. who was a guy from down this way. Big attendances, um, big attendances at the Den, big attendances across football and sports events generally in those those um, harsh post-war times. I've picked out a fixture, Neil, um, from 1909. So we're going to go back to the Isle of Dogs now, listeners. Blimey. Um, I've yeah. Been, you, well, you have been productive for this one. <laughs> I try and be productive. Um, the, the, there's, a, there's a website called 11v11, which is invaluable when you're trying to do these little pieces because you don't... Um, yeah, they're generally done, you know, fairly sh- not short notice, but I always find I'm doing it on, on the rush. Anyway, 11v11 is a good website. 
Um, but it's produced a fixture for from 1909, 23rd of January, 1909. Um, this will be played at the North Greenwich ground, which is um, on the other side of uh, the Isle of Dogs, uh, Island Gardens around there, then Millwall Park. Um, so it's 4-2 to Coventry City. Um, I just love the names. The, the, the names really are what caught my eye for this fixture. I do have a very short paragraph um, from a newspaper called Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds newspaper, Reynolds journal. I don't know what, what, what it's called, Reynolds. Dated the 24th of Jan, 1909. Coventry City 4. Actually, it, it would be at their own ground. Sorry, excuse me. It's been played at Coventry, not, not the Isle of Dogs. Coventry City 4, Mill 2. Having the best of the game throughout, Coventry City on their own ground, defeated Mill by 4-2. to two. Mill without Comrie, his place at centre forward being taken by Geoffrey and Archer went, went back. Uh, the Coventry City forwards played splendid football. I just love that turn of phrase, splendid football. And for the most part, Mill were kept on the defensive. Arnold, Turner and Warren put in the goals for Coventry and Tellum and Jones scored for Millwall. With the weather fine, some 5,000 people watched the game. Um, nice poetic turn of phrase there, Neil, but the names in the Coventry side are just lovely. Uh, Joe Malt in goal, Eliander Juggins. Elia that's a real person's name, Eliander Juggins. Doesn't come from a, a Charles Dickens novel, playing at fullback. Um, Harold Redmond Buckle was, a, was the outside left. Charles Tickle, outside oh. right. The um, Charlie Tickle. Charlie Tickle. Samuel Isaiah Ike Turner. Now, I've heard of Ike Turner with Tina Turner, but I didn't know that he played for Coventry <laughs> as well. Samuel Isaiah <laughs> Ike Turner. <laughs> and then finally, Thomas Arnold, who I think was in Flashman's school days, or Tom Brown's school days as the head of rugby school, Thomas Arnold. Not the same bloke, listeners, I do know. Um, just some wonderful names, I thought. It, it, it was just worth um, repeating to, um, you know, to uh, get some of these names out there. Eliander uh, Juggins is my favourite of that bunch. Yeah, just wonderful names, aren't they? And the resonant of different times, mate. Yeah. Yeah, well, 1909. Christ, you, yeah, we have been working hard on that one. I've dug <laughs> it out of the archives, <laughs> but we're going to move forwards, Neil. We're going to move forwards to 1994, much more recent. Another classic. We're talking about Nottingham Forest away now. Um, League Cup fourth round. It was still known as the League Cup in these these times. 30th of November. Great fixture. I well remember it. Uh, Nottingham Forest nil, Mill 2. Night of Greg Berry. Yeah, funnily enough, uh, I was looking yeah, when I was doing my research and uh, Premier League Nottingham Forest humbled by Division 1 underdogs Millwall, I think it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but just an aside, could you go off on enough tangents? So I think <laughs> you're entitled to a tangent. <laughs> I once had to cover a game at Leighton Orient. Right. Greg Berry scored a hat trick against Berry. Did he? And the headline in the mirror the next day, who I was reporting for, was Berry Berry's Berry. Oh, great. That's, that's a dream headline. That's a dream <laughs> headline. I could just imagine somebody. Get in the copy in and just <laughs> berry berries berry. There's too good a chance to miss. How could you not? Very basic um, player, I thought. Do you know what? I, I, there's very little detail. I thought I, his name stuck out. I mean, obviously he scored two goals in this fixture, listeners. Goals in the 18th and 41st minute. I think. Um, I think the second one was a, a kind of a flick header from a free kick. If 
memory serves. Um, but I looked on Wiki now, there's really not an awful lot about Greg or his the bare bones of his career, but um, not much detail other than the fact he's now coaching in, in Canada, uh, British Columbia, a place yeah, called right. Peace Arch, Peace Arch Soccer Club and Coastal WFC in British Columbia. Um hope that one of us has found a match report for this game, isn't it? Well, this, it's the pro, this is why I turn to the pros when it comes to this game. <laughs> Forrest <laughs> fell behind in the 18th minute when Barry met Dave Savage's well-taken free kick with a glancing header. That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Yep, uh, that flew into the far corner. Yeah. Uh, Millwall stretched their lead four minutes before the break when Berry took advantage of a ricochet off defender Steve Chettle okay. and continued on to drive a shot past Mark Crossley. Mark Crossley, in fact, had a loan spell with Millwall, of course. He did. Um, obviously, later on in the uh, in the 90s, um, I think when we were in the, the third tier, Mark Crossley came in. And the Tell to- me a very good story about when he signed, and I'm going to try and get him onto a podcast. He doesn't do podcasts now because he does, uh, because he does uh, after dinner speaking. But he's but he but he's promised he'll give me half an hour. Well, that will be entertainment. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, and the story is that he was warned not to take his car to the game when he made his debut. Because uh, the club at the time said we've had one or two bad results recently, <laughs> and, and they're targeting players' cars. Catch a cab <laughs> or get the bus. More Millwall. There's a bus pass. <laughs> but interestingly, in this game, Colin Cooper went off. Who obviously? Yeah. Millwall. Yeah, of course he moved on. He was. He was. He was a, a very good player. We've mentioned him in previous shows, Colin Cooper. And the substitute up. for uh, Nottingham Forest was Alfinger Harland. Father of Erland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Famous son of, or father of. of. But this was a great Millwall team. We talk, about, we talk about good Millwall teams. This season was the season where my mate Mark Beard yep. hates talking about that goal against Nottingham Forest, uh, sorry, yeah. against Arsenal in the FA Cup, which I think was a two or three weeks after this game. I suppose it would have been, yeah, around about that time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, the side, you look at the side we put out that night, Casey Keller, Mark, yep. Ben Thatcher, Andy yeah. Roberts, yeah. Tony Witter, probably a bit hit and miss as far as most Millwall fans are concerned, isn't he? Uh, yeah, Keith, he had his own song, the, the, the Witter Wonderland, didn't he? But it was all he had his own time zone, the Witter zone, when goals would be conceded. It was normally that 90 minutes to wherever much injury time. That was the Witter zone. But he did get his own song in praise. He was he was that kind of player, Neil, wasn't he? He would yeah. his pace would save a goal and then his error would give it away, you know, that kind of um 50-50 type player, you know. You're a Dave Savage who we've mentioned, Damien Weber, whose kit I sponsored when I worked on the Crawley newspaper in my early days of a newspaper in the newspaper <laughs> industry. His kit was going spare and I sponsored it. That's a name I haven't heard in a long while, actually, Damien Weber. Good choice. His son, though, plays for Wigan or somebody. Really? Okay. Alex Ray, Greg Berry, as we've said, Dave yeah. Mitchell. Mitchell, good player. And Mark and, uh, Kennedy. Rolls Royce of a player he was in that, and he Mark Kennedy's night of nights would come at Highbury, and as you say, that that was shortly after this 
League Cup game. And we, we've never really achieved huge things in the League Cup. Now, I mean, the quarterfinal this year, 1994-5 season, um, that was at Swindon, didn't we? Didn't we, uh, we, we yeah, the, we... Yeah, we lost three one there, and and the quarterfinal. Funnily enough, I've 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 come on to it when we talk about the Leicester game. Yeah, uh, we've only I think we've only reached a quarterfinal three times this season. Yep, uh, seventy four and seventy seven. So we're not particularly good in that competition. No. I've never understood why. We, 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 as a club, we seem to love the FA Cup and the League Cup is, I suppose, so so. But yeah, I mean, I was the, the 74 fixture I was at, that was a game against Norwich a long, long time ago now in different times. But we would come a cropper at, uh, at Swindon getting beat 3 1. But this was a good night. This was, this is a, a great, um, a great fixture, one that lives in the, in the Millwall memory. And I think it's, it's nice to be able to mention Greg Berry, actually, because he's a player that doesn't get many um, mentions in, in the Mill story. But this, he, made, he made a great night here for us, didn't he? Yeah, I think he was actually a teammate of uh, Kevin Nugent at Orient, who's, who's actually now on our coaching staff, isn't he? He's okay. A, okay. I think he's under-23s coach. I think he supplied a lot of Nugent's goals over the O's. Just, as, um, just to move us along, I... I it's a more obvious choice. I went for the the three nil win that Gary Rowett achieved in twenty twenty at Forest. It seems like a slightly different era now. It's like the last, the, the height of the Roman Empire almost, and it all ended, you know, with the COVID, and we were on a, a promotion chasing run at this point. A three nil win, a really conclusive performance, a Matt Smith hat trick up there, Neil, um, March the fifth, March the sixth, sorry. 2020 it was on sky television we never performed well on sky tv um and nothing seems to have ever been quite the same for us ever since because it all ended with the lockdown and you know the kind of that that period of gary rowett honeymoon seemed to end there and then at least you're gonna if you're gonna end it you end it with a good result and that's what it was um nothing's been quite as good as it as that since in my opinion would you no. agree yeah, I would. Uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? We've, he seems to, when he first came in, it seemed that we were playing attacking football and things like that. And we went up there and we gave them a right shellacking, didn't we? That's a good, good word, a good way to put it. Um, and uh, actually, Forest is actually one of my favourite away games. It's quite easy to get to. Yep. It's a nice place. We've got Trent Bridge next door, haven't we? Yeah. Yep. And it just seemed, and we always seem to get, you always seem to see a decent game up there. I've seen us lose up there a couple of times, but I've actually seen us win up there quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's slightly unusual when you're a Millwall fan, isn't it, away from home? It's an enjoyable visit. Nottingham is a nice place. The area that um, the city ground sits in right next door to the cricket ground. Um, I've been to the cricket there. It's just an enjoyable trip, and you've got the River Trent running past it. And funny enough, I've never been to Meadow Lane. You know, it's, it's a ground I've never been to. For I don't know why, it's just never arisen that I've got there. But that's just across the water, isn't it? The uh, Notts County ground. Yeah, you walk past that if you, yeah, well, if you come out the wrong way out of the city ground, or if the old bill directs direct you, you. <laughs> you would know, direct you the wrong way. <laughs> and, uh, you end up walking past Meadow Lane. I've been there donkeys years ago. Christ, it's been. Yeah, it's been redeveloped since I was last there. But it's one of those places where you get on the train and you're there in an hour. Yeah, it's no great distance. Uh, that's right. And, and, it's, 
and it's nice when you get there. It's enjoyable as a, as a city to visit, you know. And you've always got the added bonus of the walk to and from the station. You've got hookers <laughs> in between <laughs> with some very nice young ladies to cast an eye on, <laughs> flocking you overpriced chips and pies. And people willingly other. paying for their overpriced chips or whatever. There we are. Um, I just wanted to take the chance whilst we're on the subject of Nottingham Forest and goals, and, and he scored a hat trick, Matt Smith. I, I want to just, I don't, you don't pay tribute to somebody who's still an active player in the game, but I just really like Matt Smith as a striker. He's, a, he's got a touch of the old fashioned English centre forward about him, Neil. You don't seem to see so many players like him in the game anymore. Um, and no, I just look. A breed, isn't he? He really is a dying breed. And it was somebody that we were after for quite a long time. And We've I'm... pursued him a long time. I can see why. I can see why. Um, six foot eight. He's six foot eight tall, listeners. Um, which I don't, you don't get a real sense of that spotting on from the terraces or from the, from the stands. Like lock forward, isn't he, in rugby or a flank? Yeah, and he, he has a rugby feel to him. In, and I'm probably making a sweeping generalisation that people will slaughter me for now, but he's, he's got that kind of university educated quality to him. Big, physically big guy, imposing, but he's he's an intelligent boy as well. It's. Um, you know, I've heard him interviewed. There's a podcast. One of his um, classmates, I think, at uni, interviewed him on on life in general, not just football. And he's an intelligent bloke. He's he's got business aspirations. He's doing an MBA. He's um, clearly come from a family that's encouraged his his educational, um, you know, aspirations, so to speak, as much as as the football. And yet he can mix it on the football field. I I, I like him. I, I, I can see why we pursued him for so long. Um, and I'm actually glad that we kept him. Yeah, I am. Yeah. There was a stage last season where it looked as if we weren't going to keep him. Yep. But I'm glad we did. And he, and he had a good pre-season, which I was pleased about. He must, I mean, I, I don't know. I suppose it will be Benny Kofobe, who's currently our top scorer. But, you know, Matt always gets goals. And, you know, you might only see him for 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Normally when a, a manager with arty aspirations to be playing some kind of higher form of the game decides that actually the most effective route is to get a cross in and hit Matt Smith on the head, you know, and it, it goes in the net a lot of the time. Um, so I, I think I quite like him for that, really. The fact he, he's, a, he's a debunker. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he creates absolute havoc, doesn't he? He does. So Matt Smith, well done, mate. I like you and will continue to like you wherever you go. Your real um, wall. Real wall. Move along, Neil. We've, we've got Bristol City to, to cover. Um, and you've chosen um, a 2-0 win for the Lions in February, 3rd of Feb, 1968. Goals for Keith Weller and Derek Posse. Um, this was our first, our second ever win at Ashton Gate. So we don't, we don't win many at Ashton Gate, do we? No, we don't. And funnily enough, my ex-wife was born the day after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've just seen. Yeah, but... Listen, you come to this show listeners for tangent, so you got you got a good tangent there. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, I've just seen the date, and <laughs> Christ Almighty, yeah, I've completely lost my face. Yes, we actually, I think Ashton Gate isn't a happy hunting ground for us. I know we won there. Did we win there last season? And I've we seen. The, did we had a result? Win, yeah. uh, that famous David James game. <laughs> 
you let your country down or something. Down. Yeah, when you get greeted <laughs> by four or five thousand Millwall fans, all seeing you let your country down. <laughs> always that's... a good one. It's always a good one. If you can't get Jimmy Savile into a song, get, get the fact you've let the country just by being beaten on uh, international level. There'll be a lot of people that could put themselves in that. Yeah, well, that was the game where I think where Darren Carter did. Was it Darren Carter came on and got sent off? I can't remember that. I think it was that game. But anyway, this game against Bristol City, before we actually drive everybody off. <laughs> With tangents. <laughs> One of the match reports said, so sneaky Millwall. So sneaky. <laughs> I like that. Quick um, thinking by Millwall slick forwards. Yep. Bought the two goals which handed out Bristol's first home defeat in two months. <laughs> Although outplayed for much of the game, Bruce Perry wrote this. He was obviously a Bristol... Bristolian, yes. Yeah. <laughs> giving absolute Millwall no credit whatsoever in this game. Well, apparently, we caught them out twice on the wrong foot, and that yep. was enough. Well, once is bad enough, twice is bloody sheer reckless, isn't it? Brian Conlon, there's a name if... if Look him if, up, yeah. Uh, who I think was a loan player that we had on loan from Oxford or somewhere like that, uh, was the architect of their first win away from home for 13 games. He said we were shit away from home in 1968 <laughs> as well. <laughs> We've got, I mean, it's interesting that the take that journalists put on it. I mean, as you've just said there, sneaky, sneaky Millwall, according to, to that report. I've got here um, Millwall cruelly exposed we were cruel i mean what, i don't know what the point of a game of football is not if not to win it but anyway we cru <laughs> cruelly exposed bristol's lack of originality and showed why they have gained just two home wins in five months this is according to the um the daily mirror i think it's the daily mirror did, uh, the people sorry the sunday people um and it, it mentions barry kitchener Millwall's promising young center half this is how old it is <laughs> He was young and promising. Five long periods of Bristol pressure. <laughs> and I think the kids call this throwing shade, listeners, throwing shade, um, referring to our six-man defence <laughs> who held fast to keep out the Bristolians. I'll I tell you what, I'll tell you what, yeah, but I know what you're going to say next. What's that? <laughs> Only Gary Rowett that fucking borders to death. Benny could do it as well. Benny, well, Benny goes as, 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 as down the Rowett Road, the Rowett Highways. Now, this is another report by uh, Steve Stammers, and I think that is the Daily Daily Mirror, but he says, defence is right, says Benny Fenson. You don't come, well, he didn't say this bit, but you don't come to the football for entertainment, you come for results. Um, he defended the defensive setup that earned his struggling side two welcome points at Bristol. We played with a five men back, three in midfield, and just two strikers. Um, he's, Benny said, We must play to our strength, and I thought we played well apart from the handball incident. I mean, this, this is a um, it occurs to me this is a football man's attitude, Neil, and you, you hear this a lot about. You know, you you're playing to your strength, and the result is all that counts, and all this kind of thing. And there's there's sometimes in the game there's a lack of um, acknowledgement that there's an entertainment quality to football. It should be you're actually playing to be entertained and what was something uplifting. Yeah, and yeah, well, these days you're paying an awful lot of bloody money to be more than then. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You're a hundred percent right that it is an entertainment industry meant but to be. Yeah, it's all results driven. Yeah, because of. Because obviously, if the results aren't there, he gets called in for a meeting with Mr. Purser. 
<laughs> they drag up some comment you made from a while ago and then you're being... <laughs> if you're resigned that's wonderful but if not they'll sack you and have to pay the combo um yeah. it mentions this is something that this is the bit that i had struck me listeners and I, um, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there and we do have a voicemail or we have an email you can contact us um whatever happened to the slow hand clap in football the the reason i mention it is that the uh, the smallest crowd of bristol season watched the lions beat them two and all there um and the team's negative um outlook drew a long burst meal of slow hand clapping you don't hear in the game the good old-fashioned slow hand clap whatever happened to it yeah, well, I think yeah, well, I think down at Millwall it was replaced by shit, shit, shit. <laughs> it was. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But I, I am old enough to remember there being a slow hand clap, but, but I think yeah. the, the more the more the more vehement shit, shit, shit took over. Um, Mate, you've got. <laughs> yeah, well, now can we show our displeasure instead of booing? Can we? <laughs> On Saturday, can we introduce a slow hand clap? To, it would take some organisation. I think it was that stupid Icelandic thing that they did in oh, the Euros. Yeah, yeah. The, the Viking or whatever it's called. Um, anyway, the, the, the slow hand clap was quite literally a rhythmic slow hand clap. It would probably take too much organisation now, and people wouldn't, um, wouldn't go for it. But anyway, that 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 that, that paragraph caught my eye Neil definitely something that needs to return and actually the goal scorers <laughs> in this game were very interesting Posse and Weller two great players two immense players actually Weller was hugely finest. talented two um, of the finest two players that that you have to be of our generation or even older to appreciate I know there's a lot of people on Hoff and mm. Twitter who think that Derek Posse is probably one of our best ever players and the finest player they've ever seen and that and well was, um i was i was too young to to see Weller. i started going i think he'd left he was playing for leicester um or was it chelsea it might have been i think he was at leicester by the time i started going in 72 um so i only kind of it, it kind of dawned on me that he would had been a Millwall player as i got older so i missed him but certainly i was there um at the very end of derek posse's career so I do have um, good memories of seeing him at the age of 13, 14, as I was. And he was a ruthless finisher. He reminded me of um, Gert Muller in some ways. He had a similar kind of slightly squat quality, Neil, didn't he, um, Posse? And so did Muller. Yeah, fantastic player. Absolutely great signing for this club. Absolutely. Uh, we'll look, maybe we'll look at him another day on another show. I think, he, I think you're right. He is one of the great, certainly one of the great Mill goal scorers. Um, kind of broke my heart when he went to Crystal Palace. They signed him, but um, never seemed to quite work out for him at Palace. And he, I think he finished at Orient. Uh, we'll move along. We that last night's League Cup draw, Carabao Cup, excuse me, too old-fashioned in referring it to the League Cup, um, drew us against um, home, against Leicester City, um, which obviously brings back very recent great memories, Neil, of uh, the FA Cup victory in 2017. Yeah, Sean Cummins' goal, wasn't it? Um, wonderful day, wonderful day. One of the great Mill Cup upsets, and we do specialise in FA Cup upsets. Played at the Den in front of a baying crowd. A friend of mine who lives near Surrey Keys, a not Millwall fan uh, listeners, but he said that um, the, the sound of the Den almost exploding when that Cummings' goal went in late was almost like an earthquake. It was, it was, it, you could feel it, you know. Living. Well, the champions of England, weren't they? And they, they came were. back. 
and they were absolutely awful. And do you remember the abuse that the whole ground was giving? This is why we followed my warning. That's right. And who was it? Yeah, was it Danny Drinkwater or somebody, the player that's gone to Chelsea? Or Danny Chilton, wasn't Chil- it? Chil- is it Chilwell? Is it Burnley? Yeah, Chilwell. Chilwell. Wouldn't take a throw in. Um, He's too scared to take a throw in. He I must admit, I wouldn't fancy taking a throw in with the West Lower having a, on my case, you know. You, you, <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too keen myself. Um, so a great day, relatively recent, and there's, there's been quite a bit of, I mean, you're the club have put out um, video clips of that day and it's it's just wonderful to see it. But I've chosen, Neil, a, um, a, a, a fixture from the 1985, 84-85 uh, season. Then we great minds think alike because that this was a wonderful night as well, wasn't it? Mill to Leicester Mill in the uh, FA Cup fourth round, I think. Fifth round, fifth round, sorry. Yeah, it was a fifth round. It was played on a Tuesday night, wasn't it? I, I, yes. yeah, well, I guess the game had been postponed. Yeah. And uh, it was a decent Millwall team. Uh, it was very difficult to find a decent game against Leicester because we don't yes. play them very often. No. And when we do, they normally bloody tank us. Yeah, but this was a great night. Um, it was. The it Leicester was. side had, a, had the young Gary Lineker and... Alan Smith up front. And Smith, yeah, who would go on to um, great um, things at Arsenal. Uh, as would Lineker. I mean, I, I, I think the thing that struck me with Lineker is he's, he's acquired this kind of modern-day woke kind of image on, on social media. Um, and, the you know, working for the BBC, and, and um, I think he covers uh, the European Knights for, for BT Sport. But, Neil, what a great player. I mean, you know whatever people level people want to give to his opinions. Um, he was an immense national, international player that played at some of the very highest levels in the game. He was. He obviously played for Barcelona, didn't he? And he, yeah. he just had a knack of being in the right place at the right time, I seem to remember. If you put the ball into the six-yard box for him, he didn't, yeah, he didn't score anything outside the six-yard box. No. no. In and around that area, did he? He was... Uh, he wasn't physically imposing either. He wasn't, you know, we've mentioned Matt Smith and six foot eight and built like a, an outhouse, you know. Um, Gary Lineker was was the opposite, uh, the opposite. live kind of um, slim, quick thinking. I think probably that was his that was his um, secret weapon. The fact he he thought quicker than other players in the box in the business end of the of the, of the uh, penalty area. I'll always remember that you're talking about him working in the media. He was covering a game. Uh, it was when we played uh, Tranmere Rovers in the FA Cup, the cup final year. Mm. And I'm with some mates in the old family stand. And Gary Lineker walks through. So I've gone, Oi, Lineker. <laughs> so he's actually turned around. He's, I've said, Talk us up, or I'm going to fucking come and look for you. And, uh, yeah, well, we're all on the old bloody I was going to say, you're getting too old for this kind of carry-on now. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're all on the lagers, aren't we? And at the end of the broadcast, he said, uh, and to the guy who, (laughs) yeah, well, who downstairs on the concourse said, talk me up, or you were talkers up, I'm talking you up. (laughs) Fair play. I've I've always thought he's had something about him. I I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, 
but um, you have to put that to one side. He's also a consummate media professional. I mean, anyone that can do live television, Neil, I, I take my hat off to them because if you think it's easy, uh, it, it's not. <laughs> to keep talking sound coherent on live television with uh, you know, yeah, an unforgiving audience. It's a podcast that we can edit, really. <laughs> I, I edit this. I make myself sound really, really good, but he doesn't have that luxury. So Lineker was playing for Leicester. Um, it finishes a 2-0 win, and quite a decisive win, actually. You know, I mean, I can't. I was there, and I can't really remember Leicester having too much of the game. We, we just took it to them, didn't we? Yeah, I think that George had got us fired up, hadn't he? George Graham, absolutely. I'm looking um, at the... Back page of the mirror. Oh, you probably Funny enough, I pulled out that one as it's, well. It's a famous image, Neil, isn't it? Knees um, up at the den. Um, and there's George Graham centre with uh, Alan McCleary and, and John Fashionu. What a player. That lazy journalism in it that was, that was going on about... Uh, yeah, uh, Brought joy to the depressed Docklands. <laughs> they did a cockney knees up. Come on, Harry Miller, you, you're a top man. You can bloody think of better than that. The pie and mash men. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's cliche upon cliche, isn't it? Um, but I think that was the first time that we'd actually, we'd looked like we were going to go on a cut run that year, and we did go on a cut run, didn't we? Because we because we saw off Weymouth and Enfield. We'd beaten Chelsea, hadn't we, earlier on? And I think that I think this was the fifth round. I think the fourth yeah. round was Chelsea, Chelsea away at Stamford yeah. Bridge. Yeah, um, and, and we'd done the Nigels in the third game in the third right. round, I think. So we were we start. I think it was the first time, actually. Yeah, no, it says it that back in 1937 they became the first team ever to reach the FA Cup semi-finals and got right. finals as recently as six years ago. So we've actually actually got a bit of a tradition in here. Yeah, the FA Cup is actually one of those competitions where you can be fairly confident that we're going to go two or three rounds in. I don't know what it is. It It's just one of those things that we get some decent draws, don't we? I know we always moan about yeah. draws and probably it's... Leicester wasn't one of my favourites, especially as I got excited that Manchester City haven't come out of the hat. <laughs> well, the, the, the dream is always a rematch with West Ham, but um, yeah, I think you should be careful what you dream for, listeners. I've been thinking about I mean, the, the FA Cup does excite the, the juices in the way the League Cup never really has. Um, and we're an adrenaline club, Neil. I think, I think that's that, for better or for worse, we are... A Millwall v Leicester game club. You know, we, we will always struggle in the more mundane fixtures, I think. And somehow when we get to these big match moments, things happen. And this is a typical example. Millwall 2, Leicester 0, 1985. Um, yeah, 16,000 in there. Gary yeah. Lineker being watched by Howard Kendall. Yes, that's right. Um, goals for John Fash. And I was just going to mention what a player Fash was. Um, the fierce he, shots. It's shame on the fierce elbow. <laughs> He was a physically hard player. Those are the kinds of nights, Neil. If you could, if you could recreate one night for me, I'd, I'd probably choose somewhere like freezing cold night at Coldplay Lane in front of yeah, a big crowd, a big, a big night. There's something about big night games, aren't there, down at Millwall? It's just yeah. one of those things that we all that we all love. The floodlights and and I'd include I'd include our, our Zampa Road ground now because I think it's it's it, it, it is as a theatre of football. And we're in the modern era now, so you know you don't get grounds like Coldblow Lane anymore. But 
I think we've done very well to preserve a sense of Cold Blow Lane at, at Zampa Road. I, I, I won't hear of anyone that says, oh, the old ground was better. It, it was of its time, but I still think that, you know, our club, our ground on the day, as we saw in the 2017 fixture, can frighten the life out of the, the aristocrats of the game still. And that's, that's quite something worth preserving, in my opinion. That's why I was half hoping that we got Manchester City at home, just so we could all be <laughs> hanging off the side singing Pep Guardiola, we're coming for you. <laughs> Things like that would have been... Can you imagine... A load of those city players, they wouldn't ever have experienced anything no, like this no, no, they wouldn't in be. their life. Well, many of them have not played at a lower level. They've come through their academy system and, and from abroad where they're kind of um, treated like little Lord Fauntleroy, aren't they? Um, Absolutely. Jack Grealish probably has played. Anyway, yeah, well, before we get slow hand clapped, I think we've reached the end of the uh, the end of the, of the fixtures, I believe, Neil. So, um... actually, yeah, but actually, there was one thing I did want to point out. Yeah, I think I think that Loot and Tang were probably upset that we won this game because <laughs> yes, they would have been <laughs> because that was the quarter final game, wasn't it? Yeah. Um... I, a big moment in my life, listeners, is when it, it, I, I discovered that Mill can get to an FA Cup quarterfinal without it finishing up in riot and mayhem. Um, but yeah, the, the next game after this win would be um, Luton 1 0 0 at Kenilworth Road. And um, what should we say to conclude the show? I think maybe the rest is history, Neil, on that, on that front. Absolutely. Yeah, but we'll give it a slow hand clap. <laughs> There we are, dear listeners. That's Nick and Neil's Millwall History Hour. I think probably will be about an hour or so. I really enjoyed that one, Neil. Yeah, good brilliant, stuff, mate. Yeah, well, we enjoy these. I know that we both look forward to doing them. Yeah. And hopefully people get as much enjoyment out of these as we do doing them. And we've got plenty more ideas, haven't we? To Absolutely. We'll keep these on. going. We'll be back with this particular format of the History Show um, towards the end of September, I guess, we'll record um, once we get towards uh, October, which will be next on our agenda. Um, huge thank you to Neil for the amount of work and, and effort he puts into, into the show. Um, and I think that's probably it for September. So we're going to say Arriva Dirty Mill from me and good night from him. Good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening, dear listeners. We'll be back very, very soon. Thank you for listening to Aspen Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, Dirty Millwall. Till next time. Who do you want to watch? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 